0: Beneath all the things that you might do to avoid dealing with challenging feelings or the anxiety or shame or guilt that you might feel when things start to get really intense, beneath all of that are your actual core emotions, and they're a gift to you if you know how to access them and deal with them and release them. Today, you'll get some powerful strategies for doing just that. First, Relationship Alive is an offering from me to you, so that you can have the most successful, dynamic, thriving relationship possible. If you're finding the show to be helpful, please consider a donation to ensure that we can continue, to choose something that feels right for you, just visit slash support or text the word support to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. And just so you know, every little bit helps. This week, I'd like to thank David, Angie, Sylvia, Anita, Drew, Anne, Monica, And Angie, thank you all so much for your generous contributions to Relationship Alive. Also, we're going to talk about a lot of inner work today, but if you're looking for a way to improve the communication that you have with your partner, then you definitely should download my top three Relationship Communication Secrets. It's a free guide with three useful tips that when you put them into practice will help you stay connected with your partner no matter how challenging the conversation that you're trying to have. To download my free guide, just visit neilsatin.com slash relate or text the word relate to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. And I am just about to release Uh, the first version of my Relationship Communication Secrets course. So if you download the free guide, you will be among the first to know when that course is ready. If you didn't check it out already, last week's episode is all about how to tune in to the core negative image that you have of your partner or that they have of you and how to turn that negative image into something useful, something positive. And this is through actually using the negativity to point to strategies that will help you get past the things that challenge you most in your relationship with your partner. So do make sure that you check out last week's episode. If you're looking for support and a safe place to have conversations about your relationship, visit the Relationship Alive community on Facebook. We're a closed group, so you have to join in order to participate in the discussion. But once you find us, join up and we will be happy to let you in to uh, become part of the ongoing conversation. And finally is a little twist on some of my solo episodes. I'm taking your questions to answer live on the show. So if you have a question, just record a voice memo on your phone or a little video and send it to me. The email address is questions at relationshipalive.com. And I will keep you anonymous, but I will use your question on the air and I will answer it. So I hope to get some good questions from you in the coming days and weeks. I think that's it. Let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Relationship Alive. This is your host, Neil Satin. It's been my mission, of course, to give you the best tools that I can find to help you have an amazing, thriving relationship. And some of those tools are relational in how you interact with other people. And some of those tools are all about the inner work and how we can come to understand ourselves better and experience life more fully, shine more brightly, and to get past the obstacles that stand in our way. And today, I hope to synthesize both of those things for you, that we're going to start with the inner work as we unearth how to get to our core emotional experience and just why that is so important. And along the way, you're going to learn how to identify when you're in a core emotional experience and when you are not and learn exactly how to handle that situation. We are diving more deeply also into the work known as A.E. DP Accelerated Experiential Dynamic Psychotherapy, which is a mouthful. But if you listened to episode 176 with Diana Fosha or episode 189 with David Mars, then you're getting a sense for how this way of working with people can be so profound in its ability to create positive change. Today's guest has taken the model even further in showing us how we can apply it for ourselves So it's great when you're doing it in in therapy. It's great when you're doing it in couples therapy. And this is going to show you how to do it on your own so that you can experience this kind of change in your daily life using what's known as the change triangle. Our guest today is Hilary Jacobs Hendel. And her recent book, It's Not Always Depression, Working the Change Triangle to Listen to the Body discover core emotions, and connect to your authentic self is, I think, a game changer for you in terms of deepening your experience and being able to bring that fully into your relationship with your spouse, your partner, and your relationships with others in general. Uh, As usual, we will have a detailed transcript of today's Episode. You can get that if you visit neilsatin.com slash triangle because we're talking about the change triangle or as always you can text the word passion to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. So let us dive in to the change triangle and discover how to get even more in touch with who we are at our core and how to bring that into the world. Hilary Jacobs-Hendel, thank you so much for being here with us today on Relationship Alive.
1: Thank you, Neil. I am delighted to be here talking about my favorite subjects of emotions and relationships.
0: Perfect. Well, we're on the same page then, definitely. Yes, we are. And I do want to mention before we get Too deep in that if you are a visual person and need a visual representation of the triangle that we're talking about, then that's also available, uh, both on Hillary's website, which we'll announce in a little bit, and also at neilsatin.com slash triangle where we have the transcripts. You'll be able to, to see it in front of you if that's required. But we'll do our best to, to make it, make it real for you as we're talking about it. So Hillary, why? why is it so important to get in touch with our core emotions and, and how do we distinguish core emotions from just that emotional wash that can come, come at us or come over us throughout our day?
1: Well, it's, there's many reasons why it's important to, uh, Get not only get it well. Understand the different types of emotions, and to get in touch with emotions, and to be able to discern what you're what you're feeling and what you're experiencing, because most of us live up in our heads, and thoughts are fantastic, and we need them. And I love my thoughts, but it's half the picture of knowing who you are and. What you need, and what's good for you, and what's bad for you. And core emotions are these biologically wired survival programs that really tell us at the core so much about what we, who we are, and what we need that if we're not listening to them, and our society really teaches us to avoid them and block them, which I think is responsible for the epidemic we're seeing and depression and anxiety and so many mental health issues. That, And we don't learn anything about emotions. That, uh, That without knowing about emotions and understanding how they work, we're really at a huge disadvantage to thrive in life.
0: Right. When you're able to identify the emotional experience that you're having, it gives you clues as to how you need to best respond to the world in in the moment with whatever is going on in your life.
1: Exactly. And I think what's become more and more important for me just to say from the, the beginning to the, to the people listening out there is that this is not about wearing emotions on our sleeve. This is not about looking for an excuse to act out or behave badly, to rage or to cry. Experiencing emotions is a wholly internal process. It has nothing to do with what we actually then show to others or or enact. It may, but I'm We're always trying to think about what is constructive for us, constructive for the person we are with. It's not about an excuse to behave badly. And I think we live in an emotion phobic culture, partly because people don't understand that. They think, oh my gosh, you know, if we're all into our emotions, it's just going to be, you know, uh, not good. It's just, it's. it's," I'm only thinking of curse words now that would come out to explain (laughs) it like a shit show, but I'm just, you know, that type of a thing. And this is a very. thoughtful process that I'm talking about that only helps us there. I, there is no downside to getting in touch with emotions the way that I am thinking about it and the way that I try to educate others.
0: Right. What you just said is such an important distinction that we're talking about a constructive way to meet your emotions and to metabolize them into something that's beneficial, not just for you, but for the other people in your orbit or for life in, in general. Uh, and, you know, we had Harriet Lerner on the show to talk about, um, you know, her seminal work, The Dance of Anger and, and turning anger into a, into a constructive emotional phenomenon. And I love how in your book, It's Not Always Depression, you talk about each of these core emotions. And we're talking about emotions like sadness and fear and anger and disgust. And we're also talking about emotions like joy or excitement or sexual excitement. Lust, I think, is the way that, um, Yacht Ponskep uh, talks about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're talking about all of those core programs that you just mentioned, um, and looking at how they lead to our common good, the common benefit, and also ways to know when when something's coming at us that really isn't healthy and and how to respond effectively to that
1: exactly right in particular with using anger to set limits and boundaries and to assert ourselves without being aggressive
0: right right what you're able to do when you've figured out wow i'm I'm really angry. <laughs> and, and here's why I'm angry right now. And so it, it becomes less about telling someone that you're angry and more about setting a, an effective limit with them.
1: Yes. And I would add a, uh, an additional piece. It's it's also working with that anger internally to to discharge some of that energy that causes us to to act too quickly and act and say mean things or do hurtful things so that um, there's techniques to work with the energy that, that uh, most emotions have and, and that grip us into impulses, right? And these impulses have to be thought through very, very up, down and sideways before we decide to say something or do something that we really want to be thoughtful about ourselves and the action that wants to come
0: out. Right. It's hard work. To, yeah. This is
1: a lifelong process.
0: Yeah. So important to name that. And, uh, and for you listening, we're going to, we're going to get to some of these techniques of, of how to, uh, really integrate and, and, uh, process your emotional mm-hmm. experience in the way that Hillary was just naming um, and I, I want to say too that well as you know I read a lot of books for this show and I love the ones that just right out of the gate I'm like this book is going to make a difference in my life and I definitely felt that reading your book it's so practical and in some ways the title is misleading because I think people see it and they think oh this is a book about depression I'm not sure that impacts me and uh, so I want to encourage everyone listening that this is really a book about what we're talking about how do you encounter your own emotional experience and chew it up in a way that's beneficial for you and then bring that into how you how you interact with the world around you
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think you're right about the title. I I guess if the title was exactly what it should be, it would say this is a basic emotion education that you should have received in high school. And hopefully one day people will. (laughs) But it's something that every everybody knows that the title came from the article that I wrote for The New York Times back in 2015. And because the article went viral, and so many people um, responded to it, that Random House said, let's just name the book. That and you know, it's not always depression. What is it? It's really life and how surviving our childhoods and all the adversity that life entails affects us emotionally. And what happens when you block those emotions? And what happens when you embrace those emotions and learn to work with them? And it's 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 a fork in the road, um, and it
0: matters. Yes, yeah. So let's start with talking about the the change triangle. Because I think identifying the three different corners of the triangle will will be really helpful for everyone in understanding what we're talking about. Because why is it a triangle? Why isn't it just like, well, you got to have your core emotional experience and there there's more to it. And this was where your book was so eye-opening for me in many ways was getting to see, oh, these kinds of things that I experience, they're happening because – I'm, I, I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to protect myself from a core emotional experience as an example. So I think as we, as we dive in, this is going to make a lot more sense for everyone listening. Um, so where, where's a good place to start Hillary?
1: I think just I'll quickly describe it and, and what I, I'll try to bring it to life a little bit. So, um, for everybody listening, you want to imagine an upside down triangle Superimposed on your body, the the point of the triangle is in your core. Um, you know, somewhere between your stomach and um, and your under your ribs, and that's because and that's and the bottom of the triangle is where core emotions are, and they're in the body, and that's why I'm asking you to imagine them in your core, and they're the core emotions. To say them again are fear anger, sadness, disgust, joy, excitement, and sexual excitement. And each of those have their own unique programs, and they're very simple in a way. You know, when something when somebody hurts us, well, let's just take anger because it's something that we all struggle with in our culture, and there's so many myths about anger. Uh, but anger is there basically to protect us, anger and fear. And when when somebody uh, attacks us, and I always think about how these were designed to be sort of uh, hundreds of thousands of years ago. If somebody wanted to kill you, and and had a threatening pose uh, or gesture, you it would evoke anger in the middle of the brain, like where all core emotions are evoked, and then it sends out a myriad of responses to all the organs of the body, to ready the body for an action. And that action is meant to be adaptive for survival. So anger will make us kind of want to make a fist and put up our dukes and get ready to attack. And it comes, it's visceral, right? We all know that experience of when someone we care about insults us, or doesn't do something that we really needed to, and there's energy in the body and our we get tension in the body and we really feel like we want to lash out. So it's a full body experience. And each of the core emotions have their own program uh, that has a group of physical sensations that we can learn to recognize and name. And each of the core emotions has an impulse to action that we can learn to recognize and, and explain and name. And and an impulse to action that, we are, that it's pulling for us to do. And it's that whole experience that we want to get really good at recognizing. And that is really just a part of knowing ourselves. The, the emotions react similarly in everybody, but there, there's nuance in everyone. So the way that I experience anger will be differently than the way you experience anger, Neil. And, and that's the same for all the, the core emotions. Great. So that's the bottom of the, of the triangle. Um, does that make sense? Perfect. Okay. Now there, there's a, there's three corners of the triangle, which I'm, I'm going to explain, but there's a fourth point here. And I'm just going to share it real quickly now, because when we have a core emotion, we're at a fork in the road and there's basically two ways it can go. We can bury that emotion and push it away and block it. And then we're going to be moving to the top of the triangle Or we can validate it, name it, work with the experience that it's evoking, in which case we get to this place that I put on the bottom of the triangle that's called the open-hearted state of the authentic self – And what that is basically um, uh, uh, a more practical way of saying is it's a regulated state of mind and body, and that when we are with our core emotions and we let them process through and we are allowed to experience them, and again, nothing has actually happened yet in the outside world, it's wholly internal, it's a way that calms the body back down. Because core emotions come up, they kind of cause an arousal of the nervous system, like a wave. You ride the wave and then they come down and if we don't block them, the energy kind of naturally will dissipate over time and, and in, in ways and techniques that we can help with that and then we come back to this kind of calm state where our mind and body feel relaxed and in that state, good things happened. And there's a bunch of C words that I borrowed from Richard Schwartz uh, with his permission Um where when we stay in this kind of calm, regulated state, we are more curious, we feel more connected, we have a greater capacity for compassion for ourselves and other people. We tend to feel more confident because we can deal with our own emotions and we feel more courageous in life and we have more clarity of thought. So you obsess less. So this is where we all want to spend more time. And Definitely. it's not that it's the goal to spend all our time there, right? That's impossible because life happens. But that's where we want to spend more and more time. And so working this change triangle to get back to core emotions and to go through them down to this calm state is the whole point of this.
0: Yeah, but, I think it's okay. important to to mention that too, that we're describing this this static image, but it implies a process that you can go through in order to get to the the open-hearted state of self-energy that that Hillary's just described.
1: Right, cuz we're moving around this triangle all day every day many times and it's what we do that matters and then we're also kind of moving around this triangle in life on a macro level spending less time in our defensive states and more time in the open-hearted state. So that's sort of a sort of a micro and a global way to look at it.
0: Great. So then when you have that core when, you're, when some core emotional response comes up, you said you're at a fork in the road. And exactly. you can head, you can ride the wave and, mm-hmm. and get to that core self state or dot, dot, dot.
1: <laughs> or like most of us do, because that's what we're taught to do in our society, is we tend to block them. And so the top of the triangle, if we move um, you know, to the top right, that corner is labeled inhibitory emotions and the inhibitory emotions, which everyone will recognize are anxiety, guilt, and shame. And again, what they have in common is that they all push down and block and bury core emotional experience in purpose for the purpose of pretty much getting along in our society. There are more social emotions so that um, if the core emotions are the selfish emotions, uh, what's good for me? The inhibitory emotions are how do I curb my own impulses and desires so that I am stay in the good graces, good graces of initially my mother and then my father and my siblings, my family, then my peer groups, my um, then you know as you broaden into society, my uh, my religious groups, my. Uh, My collegial groups, that uh, we it's so important for human survival to get along. So, in a way, there's a fundamental conflict here. So, the inhibitory emotions when we it's the way that we block our core emotions, and so what we end up doing is noticing that we have anxiety, for example. And if we have anxiety, we know that we're on the top right hand corner of the triangle but what that means practically is that we also know that we are inhibiting some core emotional experience that if we can get to and name and 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 use we will likely feel less anxious feel much better and i can give an example of this but the and the way we do this is with muscular contraction all sorts of maneuvers that anxiety shame and guilt block these core emotions and for different purposes. And some of us will feel more shame, some more anxiety, you know, we have to mix in genetics and disposition here, and then the environment for why we end up feeling ashamed or guilty or anxious.
0: Right. And, and something that feels important to name right here is the way that you can feel those inhibitory emotions from a core positive emotional experience as much as a core negative and and i'm kind of putting those words in quotes because i think what we're getting at here is that they all have the capacity to be positive but one might not think like oh you know i'm i'm experiencing shame because i'm feeling too much joy right now or i'm too excited and so my anxiety is coming in to to block that or my guilt about being excited about this thing
1: that is so crucial And the more that I do this work uh, in psychotherapy and just observe um, the people that I'm with, the more I believe that it's the larger emotions. I I wouldn't even say, so I think you're right, that people block joy and excitement and pride in the self and um, anything that makes us feel physically bigger. It's kind of fascinating. You can almost reduce all below the neck, deep experience into emotions that have energy that makes us feel larger, which is dangerous. When we take up more space and we are, feel bigger, we tend to experience some inhibition, either anxiety, guilt, or shame. And so people tend to stay small. And in a way, people go negative. I'm not so sure anymore which came first or do people kind of move into negative thoughts to keep them small um, because there's some core fear or is it that it's a, dif- it's a way not to feel big. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if that gets sort of too complicated, but you can start <laughs> to think of everything as almost like amoebas. Like, are am I getting bigger or am I getting smaller? And, to begin to understand one's experience as is this an expansive emotion now that I'm feeling like joy and pride and anger, in which case it's going to make me feel vulnerable. And um, then I'm going to kind of come down on myself with some anxiety or shame or guilt.
0: Mm. Mm. Um,
1: So that's just getting to what you were saying about um, uh, people struggle with feeling good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it could go either way. And, And what I love is this sense of, oh, when I notice shame or anxiety or guilt, that the problem isn't the shame or the anxiety or guilt, that that I don't want to spend all my time there, because they're indicating that there's a deeper core experience that's happening. And that's where the, the gold is.
1: Exactly. That's where the gold is. I think it's also important to mention that we're talking about kind of um, detrimental levels of anxiety, shame, and guilt here, that shame has a purpose too. Guilt has a purpose. Like when we do something that hurts somebody else, it's good that we feel guilty. That means that we're not a sociopath. And so we want to listen to the shame, listen to the guilt, listen to the anxiety, and we also know that we have to look for our core emotions so it's it's both because the the inhibitory emotions are going to bring us to the relationship piece, but we also need to know what we're feeling so that we can express ourselves to to ourselves and to others.
0: Yeah, and I will say just as a side note, your your chapter on dealing with anxiety, shame, and guilt, I think it's also super helpful along with uh, creating self compassion, but for understanding the other people in your life and what might be motivating certain behaviors that you experience from them. Uh, that was in many respects worth the price of admission for the book, because that's part of what's going on is not only understanding yourself, but being able to see these things happening in other people and to, and to recognize how it might be impacting them as well.
1: Yes, yeah, so we can understand ourselves and others. And I've had so many people read the book and and tell me that they thought it should be in the parenting section of the of the bookstore because we also want to understand our children's emotions so we don't unwittingly cause uh, too much shame and guilt and anxiety when it can be avoided just by the education
0: in emotions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They should have a self-parenting section in the bookstore. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Self-parenting
1: and parenting though. There's so much, you know, parents mean well. I made so many mistakes. If I had had this, had this book in my twenties, it would have spared me and my children a lot of heartache. And I, I I know most people feel that way. Most people have intent to do good. And if you don't have proper information, um, and you're just basing things on what you sort of intuition and how you were raised and what society says, then it's easy to uh, make
0: mistakes, mistakes yeah. anyway.' Yeah. It's easy
1: to make mistakes, and we're not free that you know there's no way not to screw up your children on some level, but you, you just want to know what's going on in the emotion department. It's really, really helpful.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we've covered the bottom corner of the triangle the core emotions and the, the top right which is these inhibitory emotions that are are meant to block or suppress the core emotions what's up with the uh, with the other corner yes. of the triangle
1: So, and again, if we go back to that, this is superimposed on the body. The point is, of course, in core emotions is in, is in the gut area. And then we're coming up. So anxiety and defenses are kind of sitting above the shoulders is how I imagine them because they're out of, they kind of take us out of our body. They take us up into our head. And so because emotions, core emotions feel so, at best they feel weird and, and new if you don't know what they are. And um, and at worst, they feel awful emotions and uh, core emotions and inhibitory emotions when they come in, in large doses and they come many at one time and they're all mixed together. It's a horrible experience and a horrible feeling. And so we then tend to want to avoid the whole enchilada, and we move into defenses. And that's the top, top left corner of the triangle. And defenses are basically anything we do to avoid feeling something that we don't want to feel. And I don't even mean it in a pejorative sense. I always say that, that defenses, as I learned in AEDP training, which was so helpful, are really these brilliant creative maneuvers that humans can do to spare themselves pain uh, as opposed to in my psychoanalytic training. I don't want to sell psychoanalysis down the river because I got a lot out of uh, my studies there. But there was always this negative sense of bad that, that you're doing something bad and you're resisting and that defenses are bad. And I think that defenses really need to be appreciated for one, when they hold up, they get us through life and um, two, when they don't hold up and we break through and start to have symptoms of depression or anxiety or many other things that we needed them at one time, those defenses. And now um, they're not working so well. And then we need to embrace other ways of being that bring us peace and calm.
0: So defenses are, are like toward the, the last stop on the on the train there. They're they're meant to to help you not feel anything.
1: Yes. Exactly. Or to, to exchange one emotion for, uh, for something else like defenses, emotions can be used as defenses. Um, for example, I would, you know, my whole younger life, if I felt scared or vulnerable, I sort of had a, a more of a, an irritable crusty armor And I would get angry and, um, you know, I would try to curtail it a lot because I had a really sweet, gentle mom and a really sweet, gentle sister. And I was kind of the, 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 the tougher one in the family. So I was always working hard to be quote sweet, like, um, like my mom, Mm -hmm. but I felt it. Um, I, you know, I felt it and I really didn't understand. I would beat myself up for, you know, why, why do I feel angry and it was really a big defense against, um, fear. Yeah. And I had no idea. I had no idea even I was, when I, that I was anxious when I was younger because it was just kind of covered by this kind of, this kind of tough armor.
0: Right. Or how many people do we know that might be feeling fear, but instead go to like humor or lightheartedness and instead of, uh, instead of being able to go to that place. It,
1: Exactly. And so there are so many ways we can use um, defenses can be emotions, they can we can use behaviors as defenses, um, self destructive behaviors, like, like cutting, um, just behaviors like joking, as making, you know, being sarcastic, eye rolls, uh, shrugs, this is like body language defenses. Um, not being able to make eye contact. There is, a, there is a myriad of defenses and I list a ton of them in, in the book and, and on my website. Um, and you can try to recognize your own defenses, which is probably one of the hardest things to do. It, we, it's much easier to see other people than ourselves. And so you could probably much more easily recognize the defenses and the people in your family. Um, But it's good to begin to recognize our own defenses so that we can loosen them up a little bit and know what the feelings are underneath them. And then it kind of gives us more resilience, more choices for how to be.
0: Yeah, if we wanted perspective from an outsider that we more or less trusted about our defenses, what would you say is is a safe way to ask for that from another person?
1: That's such a wonderful question. Uh, I think it's not only the safe way to ask for it, but I think you're saying to make sure that person is safe, uh, is a safe person to be vulnerable with Yeah. because what we really want to spare ourselves as much as possible is the excruciating experience of being shamed or humiliated. So I think I would say, and I do say this to my, to my husband and, and my children, um, even friends sometimes, please let me know if I do something that, I mean, it's not so much as as a defense. I would say, please let me know if I do something that you don't like or that hurts your feelings or that doesn't feel right. And um, then I guess if I was asking it, I think I would just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. I'm concerned for the people out there listening who might say that to somebody they care about who doesn't have a lot of, um, therapy background or understand emotions that might not be so gentle. Right. Um, so I think you could always say, but be, please be gentle with me, you know, and I I believe in using humor and lightheartedness in relationships a lot, but you know, be, be gentle, (laughs) but I do want to know. Yes.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's great to name that desire for, for gentleness or just to point out like it's, it's, it's kind of tender or vulnerable for me to even be Mm -hmm. asking you this, but I know that. You may see something that I don't see. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah,
1: it's it, that's it's such an interesting question, Neil. No one's ever asked me that, and I think it's because most people get feedback from their family when they're <laughs> in, when they're acting in ways that are are not pleasurable. Now, they they might not all be defensive maneuvers. Some may be just like self care, like I'm, I don't want to do this, uh, setting a limit or a boundary, and then somebody reacts badly to that. Um, but some of it would be defensive. So, uh, again, it, it's sort of interesting to think about.
0: Right. And I think if you're not inviting someone into that conversation, then the feedback that you're getting is most likely not coming at you either at a moment where you're truly receptive to it or in a manner that's that's constructive.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Constructive being the operative word.
0: Yeah. So... We, we found our way up to the top and let's talk about what the process would look like. Um, if I noticed, oh, I'm about to do that defensive thing that I always do. So maybe for someone, like, I'll just kind of out myself here. I might go to a political blog or to Facebook or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. I'm doing that it's, it doesn't serve any real constructive purpose in my life. So mm-hmm. even though, you know, you could argue about being informed or, or whatever, but when I notice that I'm doing that, what would be the steps that I would want to take to help bring me into identifying whether or not there was a core emotional experience at work? Um, and I think especially because we as adults, like these patterns are pretty well developed for us. Mm-hmm. So um, so it may be a bit of a journey to find your way down into into your core. Um, but what's what's the map look like?
1: Yeah. Yeah. But I think very possible. And, and I like your example, which I'm going to address. And, um, you know, we could also use the example of reaching for a snack when you're not hungry or reaching for a drink right after work. Right. These are all these kind of def- they're just sort of automatic defensive behaviors and they don't serve us. So what I do um, is, you know, for all these examples is the first thing we have to be able to do is notice. Right. If we don't notice what we're doing, then we can't work the change triangle at all. And the way you get good at noticing is really by slowing down. Uh, we can't really notice much about how we're feeling if we're moving fast. It just tends to obscure. We just stay up in our head and our thoughts are churning and it kind of numbs us out below the neck. So I when I'm teaching new people this, you know, you can just set aside Um, you can write in your, in your, you know, in your, in your calendar, in your phone, you know, just set aside three times a day and remember to kind of check in and observe what you're doing. Meditation, um, obviously is a, is a great practice for this. So let's say you actually notice that you're about to go check, uh, what did you say? Facebook or the political blogs.
0: Right. Right. Or more, more likely I'd, I'd be, you know, five or 10 minutes in and I'd be like, wait a minute, here I am, you know, here I am on Facebook again.
1: Good, good. Okay, so either just before being honest. or during. Yeah, of course. Join <laughs> during, during the rest of humanity. Um, that's great. So, what you would do is stop what you're doing and you would kind of feel your feet on the ground like you instructed me to do before this and uh, before we started and maybe take a few deep breaths to kind of set the stage for noticing. And then I personally. Uh, especially in the beginning, would ask myself, I would kind of scan my body head to toe and toe to head and just kind of see what I can notice about my physical state. Am I tense? Uh, Am I anxious? I might even go through all of the emotions and ask myself, okay, Hillary or Neil, you know, do you notice any anxiety now? Check. Do you notice any shame no, not right now. Do you notice any guilt? No. Okay, so we've got some anxiety. What else? Let's see if we can get below that anxiety and see what else we might be feeling. And you may want to bring in the context of what's going on in your life also and what might be affecting you. So let's say, ah, oh, this is the day my, my, my kid goes off to kindergarten. Um, what else is happening today? I have work stress, whatnot. So then I might ask myself, is any of these things in life causing me fear? Check. And then we want to go through all the core emotions. Do I feel angry? No. Do I feel sad? Check. And you want to name all the emotions that you possibly can, but... Kind of holding them all together, like I as I tell my patients, try to hold all the emotions, but imagining them with lots of air and space between each one. Because we have to we have to attend to each emotion separately. Another way that I say it is don't say I feel afraid, but I also feel sadness. I want to change the but to an and. I feel sad and I feel afraid and I feel excited, and I feel happy. And once we get a lot of emotions going at the same time, it's a lot of energy, we can automatically push those down because we don't know we can handle it all, feel some anxiety, and then boom, reaching for a political blog. So that would be the idea, to try to start to name the emotions. And then just by doing that, just by naming emotions and taking that time to slow down and do that, you might feel much, much more relaxed. And in fact, it gives you space to think, okay, do I want to continue with the blog? Because this is a good distraction that I need now because defenses aren't bad by definition. It's only if they're hurting us or if we rely on them all the time. Uh, So you may continue to read or you may decide, you know what, I'm going to go exercise instead, or I'm going to go, you know, tell my partner uh, how I'm feeling. Um, about everything going on that type of thing. And then that's the the last step is to think through what's the best thing for me right now. Uh, If I don't feel better, and I'm trying to change my state, you know, what are some things that that help me feel better, where I can take better care of myself, or you may want to work with one of these emotions, um, using some of the techniques that I that I outline in the book, like staying with them in the body or imagining using fantasy to discharge some of the energy.
0: Yeah, I definitely want to talk about fantasy, uh, but before we go there, we have to take just a quick break to talk about this week's sponsor. Their name is Sweet Hop, and they have a unique date night offer especially for you. You see, at venues and arenas around the country, games and concerts take place, and sadly, often, the luxury suites sit empty or half full. Because they're simply not made as readily available and accessible to people like you and me compared to general admission seating. So if you've ever wondered what it might be like to take in a concert or a game from one of those luxury boxes, Sweet Hop is for you. They allow the owners of those luxury boxes to sell tickets to you and me so that you can have that experience. The luxury suites and VIP box seats are available in groups of two to eight seats. So it's perfect for a date night or a group of friends. And they usually include access to luxury clubs, exclusive bathrooms, VIP entrances, and they're great seats for a show. So along with having plenty of space and no sweaty, drunk people randomly landing on top of you, at least sweaty, drunk people that you don't already know, There are also fabulous food and beverage options that can turn a regular event or concert into a luxury experience. On the Sweet Hop website, it's super easy to browse the list of events or games in your area or to simply pull up a venue and see everything that's available. So if you're looking for an extra special date night option that your partner definitely won't forget, check out Sweet Hop. Visit www.sweethop.com slash date night to find an amphitheater and show near you. That's S-U-I-T-E hop dot slash date night. Our second sponsor for today has a special offer for you to help you get exactly the kind of support that you need as you're creating that web of support for yourself that we often talk about here on the show. One way that allows you to connect with a professional counselor in an online environment that's safe and private is today's sponsor, BetterHelp. With BetterHelp, you can get help on your own time and at your own pace. Along with scheduling video or phone sessions, you can also chat and text with your therapist. They're affordable, And financial aid is available for those who qualify. So whether it's anxiety, depression, your relationship, stress, grief, dealing with trauma, whatever it is, definitely consider BetterHelp as a way to help you transform your stuck places. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. As a Relationship Alive listener, you get 10% off your first month with discount code ALIVE. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash alive. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com slash alive. And thank you, BetterHelp and Sweet Hop, for being sponsors of today's show. And now let's get back to our conversation with Hillary Jacobs Hendel. I just want to name that for me... Even though I knew this to be true, it was really a revelation to stop and think about what that's like that we can be experiencing fear and disgust and joy and sexual excitement, that we could be feeling all of those things at the same time, Yes, each one calling out for potentially a completely different kind of response yes so no wonder we get all bound up with anxiety or overwhelm or feel any any of those things that just kind of paralyze us in a moment or if we if we name one and we just kind of go with the first thing oh i'm feeling sad right now and then you neglect the others how you could feel incomplete in terms of actually processing the experience that you're having.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And that's why it's so important to keep sort of searching when you notice one particular emotion to just keep looking around what else is there. And to it really helps to kind of run through that checklist. I, I still do that. I've been practicing this a long time. And I um, I run through the different emotions. And once you name them and search for them, you know, you may even find them. I say to my patients, even there's, you know, just check for like a little molecule of joy there uh, or a little molecule of sadness. And then if you find it, you know, oh, maybe I need to actually make space for this particular emotion, I spend so much time, you know, really orienting myself towards my anger that I'm missing out on what the sadness or the fear is telling me.
0: Yeah, I was I was searching for a good acronym while Um, while I was reading the book, I was like, there must be a good one for those core emotions to like help people just kind of do the do the checklist.
1: Yeah. Did you find one? Cause I looked hard also.
0: <laughs> not yet, but I'll let you know if I, if okay. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there's not a good one for all those C's when you're, when you're, but I do like how you also offer that as an example of looking for, you know, am I feeling calm right now? Am I feeling clear? Am I feeling compassionate? To be able to go through that list to find the nuances of your experience right now and to highlight, oh, okay, here are ways that I am feeling courageous, even though at the same time, ah, I'm, I'm getting all this, this uh, tremulous fear going through my body.
1: Yes, exactly. And I think even sometimes you can bypass the whole thing and just really try to shift into those states if you don't like what you're feeling right now. And it's a particularly a great idea when you're about to have a conversation with somebody important to you to, before you do, try to try to just see if you can shift into a calmer, certainly more curious standpoint, um, more state where you can try to take a couple of deep breaths and access some curiosity so we don't make assumptions about another person's motives, because they're often incorrect. You know, we make up our own stories, and then we believe them without checking them out. Uh, and to try to lean into connection. Um, so that let's say, you know, again, your partner really pisses you off. It's important. And and the brain doesn't naturally do this, you have to push put energy behind this idea of remembering the good things somebody has done to kind of take the steam out of the um, you know, we can rev ourselves up with anger and start to think it's like chaining Then everything that someone ever did to hurt you comes back with a vengeance, unless we really pull the other way and say, okay, what is, why do I love this person? Or if I can't remember that I loved him at one point, you know, what is it that, that I used to love about this person and try to conjure those, that part of it as well. It takes energy. It's not easy because we're really pulled to tough places and we have to use mental energy to pull ourselves back and it doesn't feel good at first always
0: yeah yeah Um, wow so many different directions that I'm going in at the moment Uh, I think first I just want to name it's really lovely the way that you show the integration of AEDP work uh, through the vignettes vignettes that you offer in your book and also um, internal family systems and working with different parts of you, younger parts. Um, if you're a listener for, and you have been for a while, then you've perhaps heard the interviews we've done with Dick Schwartz. Uh, the most recent one is episode, I wrote this down, episode 140. Um, where, so you can, you can get a sense of how the, the two modalities work really well together, fit super well together. And, so all of that work to get to understand and process and metabolize your emotional experience and to learn how to show up for yourself uh, can come through what we've been talking about today and can also be uh, helped by getting to identify the places in you that are stuck in a past experience. And the reason that I wanted to bring that up is because you were just talking about like the the possibility of skipping to connection and calmness or doing what you can to to get to that place especially if you're going to reach out to someone that's important to you and uh, i liked how you also bring in the work of peter levine and talk about how all of this energy that emotions bring up in in us when they're not processed when when that energy isn't metabolized then that is what creates trauma in our bodies—that that stuck energy that never quite got released. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, some of those stories in your book are just were so moving to me uh, as I as I read them and got to see like, oh right, there's another nuance of of how this could apply to me or to my clients. And uh, so, really beautiful, I think, to to see it written out like that. But let's get into a little bit more of the. Thank you, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. Um, yeah. let's get into the metabolizing. And in particular, let's talk about fantasy because that use of the imagination and how it can help, I think can be so powerful for us when we, when we're wrestling with that question of, well, I feel so angry or I feel so sad or bereft or whatever it is. And I don't know, like, I want to bring it to that person. I want them to feel my anger. I want them to see the depths of my sadness. How can we do it in a way that's actually going to be more productive and give us the satisfaction of truly handling and, and, and giving our body some relief from those unfulfilled impulses?
1: Yeah, that, that's, um, that's, that's, that's a question that has many levels, because I think what I'm first responding to is this idea of wanting someone to see and wanting to really be seen, uh, in with one's emotions. And so I think that is legitimate. And, and then there are times when that's all somebody sees and they get weary. So it's, it's really, you have to keep a lot in mind. Um, so I thought you were just going to kind of ask me about working with child parts and releasing stuck energy as a sort of um, either a, either as a, an alone process or with a therapist and then you surprised me when you brought in this idea of in, if you bring it into relationship and that makes it a sort of a, like a, I think we have to deal with one and then the other.
0: So let's start with the first part yeah. which would be that the inner process that we might go yes. through and then and then we can bridge into bringing that into relationship.
1: Great. Great. So I really consider myself a trauma therapist. And I now think of trauma as something that everybody has just from surviving their childhoods. Um, And so then we we're changing the definition of trauma. This is still very controversial. You hear the word trauma, which most people still think of as a as a some major catastrophic event happening. That is trauma. I'm adding on to that something that is also called small T trauma, which many people in the trauma field object to because it's it's sort of putting a value judgment on trauma that one is smaller or bigger, which is I want to say that that's not the case. It's just some way to, to differentiate different types of trauma. And small T trauma is really what I believe everybody has. And small T trauma is really can be from so... So many things that actually happen in our childhood, but the bottom line is, and I'm sure Diana Fosha and David Mars spoke about this uh, in the other episodes, that whenever we have too much emotion, which happens a lot when we're children because our brains are are full of emotion and very powerful emotion. So when there's too much emotion and too much aloneness at the same time then the mind figures out a way to kind of block it so it's not overwhelming. And then once that happens a lot, we're we're kind of blocking whole parts of ourselves and whole experiences. And those are these little kind of child parts that we all have that are alone. These kind of child parts of us exist alone because they had to be kind of cordoned off. So this this happens, you know, if you have... In most families, there's a parent that doesn't tolerate a certain emotion. And so when you feel that emotion, you are really you know, told to put it away or get over it or you're yelled at uh, or it's not acknowledged. So that kind of thing uh, on a small level becomes big because when we have to exclude parts of our experience, then they're literally excluded in the mind. They're not integrated. They're not connected to other parts of the of us. So these are the the parts when I use the word parts from Richard Schwartz or in psychoanalytic literature, they were called interjects uh, that we might have absorbed parts of our parents in us. It can be many, many different things. But these are parts that sort of live on with us within us and they can get triggered and then we can start to react. The reaction is is, is not really commensurate with what happens in our adult relationships. So I think everyone can relate to like just when somebody pokes you in that just wrong place and you have felt the feeling many, many times before, and you can kind of track it back into fourth grade when you were bullied or ostracized, or you can track it back to sixth grade when you started to know that your sexuality or gender uh, wasn't uh, what the p- same as the people around you. Uh, or you were punished too severely, yelled at, you know, all these, or somebody you loved died when you were young or got sick, or there was substance abuse, active substance abuse in the family, all these type of things. And then these parts of us hold, they have their own triangles in a way. And we need to be with those parts and liberate those old emotions so that they don't fire off and cause havoc in our adult relationships and inside us and make us feel bad all the time, mm.
0: yeah, so we can so you can get related to in a in a particular moment the part of you that is feeling that is having this emotional experience and to what was happening at the time, and the way that you portray that in the book. I think is is a great illustration of how to go through this process for someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then talk about, if you could, that taking it to that next level of where you incorporate fantasy as a way of helping either a younger part or just helping yourself in the present with an emotional feeling, how you could actually kind of burn off some of that energy before Mm -hmm. you're bringing it out into Mm -hmm. how you connect with the world.
1: Yeah. And I I guess I'll use um, the, we could take any emotion and you can change this, but I'm going to, I'm going to go with these big energy emotions uh, that are common, like how you burn off, as you say, anger, energy, and also kind of feeling good about the self, um, prideful energy. Uh, both of these create a lot of anxiety and depression in people when they're blocked. And so I really like to, to harp on, let's liberate this this energy and how can we do it in a safe way? So one of the, the the most effective ways to work with anger is, and I use this a lot myself, and I'm sort of pausing here because as people listen to this, May seem kind of crazy, but we begin with the with the fundamental idea that the brain doesn't know the difference between fantasy re, and reality in certain in, in emotional ways, and we know this from experiments where somebody imagines running and they're hooked up to an fMRI that they imagine they're running, and there is a movement in the in the parts of the brain as if they were actually running. So, and and we see this every day in clinical practice. So let's say I am angry. I'm going to take my sweet and wonderful husband, John, as an example here, because I use him all the time. Uh, let's say John does something, um, and he really doesn't anymore. We, we really get along quite well. But let's say he did something that really, really like threw me into a rage. What I have learned to do and practice many times is before I go talk to him about it, I will, I know I will be able to identify that I am angry, right? And and rage is sort of if all emotions are on a spectrum from a little irritation or annoyance to outright rage, I will know, I will be able to say to myself, I am enraged. I will be able to feel that deeply in my body, a burning energy in my stomach and an, and a, and a movement of energy that wants to come right up and out. And I will not do anything, but I will focus in on that energy, listening to it with a kind of curiosity, kind of tuning in like a radio receiver, feeling it deeply and seeing what that energy wants to do to John. And it might be want to just, so I, and then I try to make it into a fantasy. So the idea is I'm noticing that if that energy could come up and out of me in a fantasy or a movie, like let it play out in a movie, I would see myself just like punching the crap out of him, out of him. Like that's how angry I am that I really want to hurt him. And then I will allow myself in a fantasy to imagine doing that. And th- I do this in sessions, um, for people that have a lot of pent up energy from being abused as children and, and, um, uh, neglected and various, uh, very hurtful things that were done to them. So I can see myself actually doing what this anger wants to do and trying to really even feel it as I see myself making contact with skin and just let it imagining it and imagining it, watching it and watching it and watching it and, it and doing it and doing it and doing it in fantasy until it feels done. Like the, the energy will discharge and will drain out. And then when I tune back into my body, I'll feel probably tired and a little more calm so that I can then gather my wits about me and go back and say, and say, we need to talk about what you did. I was so furious because you hurt me so badly when you did this, this and this. And I never, ever want you to do that again. That type of thing. As opposed to storming out. I want a divorce. You know, this isn't working or attacking him, you know, verbally abusing him for everything that he's ever done and, and um which isn't gonna help. It's gonna it may feel better in the moment, and then I'm gonna feel guilty afterwards, he's gonna withdraw, it's gonna escalate a fight, and it's gonna increase our disconnection. Yeah.
0: Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. it makes a lot of sense. And mm-hmm. uh, one thing that I think you mention in the book is how Often you can go with that initial, like you're feeling all that anger and rage and seeing that. And then when that is finally discharged through Mm -hmm. imagining this scenario, Mm -hmm. that it leaves room for another core emotion to Mm -hmm. rise up. Mm -hmm. Um, So it may not end there. It may be that after you experience your rage, you then experience your sadness or your fear and so there's, there's a lot there to be processed. And what you named so beautifully was uh the problem not only with having those experiences, but uh, or emotions, but having them and feeling alone. And how showing up for yourself in this way, also undoes that aloneness. I think that's such a powerful aspect of of the work as you describe it it's also so powerful in my experience of dick schwartz's work in ifs um that it it's kind of undoing aloneness with yourself not that you don't want to get to a place where you're inviting other people in um but it it also just builds such resilience knowing that in a moment like that a powerfully charged moment you actually have the capacity to to do something about it, um, just you,
1: exactly, and 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 that sort of reminds me to say that when you are connecting to yourself in that way, one has to have the utmost compassion and empathy, as though you were relating to your own child or pet who you love or someone that you really cared about that you would never hurt. It's really um, unconditional. Love and positive regard, and not shaming yourself, not judging yourself, right? Because fantasy is so fabulous; it doesn't hurt anybody. Even though some people get scared, you know, when a lot of people that have a lot of trauma, or even a little trauma, and I first kind of um, try to teach them how to do this, they guilt comes up, and they're like, "Well, I don't feel good about myself." Uh, you know, good people don't do this, and and I was like, "Well, I'll explain." You know, you don't do it out in real life. That's what we're trying to to prevent. But the capacity to use fantasy is very, very healthy. And that's why it's so important when you have little children to use imaginative play. And even as parents listening, that when your one child, let's say, wants to hit your other child uh, when they're young, because it's not always easy to have a sibling, just to use this as an example, you don't kind of block the anger and say, no, you have to love your, your sister or brother and and we don't hit you have to find a way to, to accept it and to channel it like we don't hit people and we don't say mean things to people. But here's this doll. You can imagine it's your sister, and we can beat it up together and have a good old time. And that way the kid is learning to sub sublim- how to use emotions and play at the exact same time and that it doesn't have to be a toxic experience, that the emotions are validated and they have to be released. And it doesn't have to be with, again, beating up like or even a fantasy of beating up like I just shared about myself. It could be writing these things out, unedited, just writing what you want to say to someone, drawing a picture of what you want to say or do to someone. The idea is to just get it out. And it has to work. So we not only have to get it out, but you have to sort of the next step after this is do I feel calmer? do I feel better? And if the answer is no, there's either more to be done or there's inhibitory emotions that are getting in the way and complicating it or other emotions that need tending. And it may be that you, that you need to bring it to someone who's a professional to help you do this.
0: Yeah. I was going to say this could be a a good place to get support, especially if something, if you're like, Ooh, that feels like a big river of rage or grief or whatever it is. Well, Great. Like, it's awesome that you identified that and sit with someone who knows how to help, how to hold you in that. Mm
1: -hmm. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Well, what a rich conversation. And before we go today, Hillary, I'm wondering if we can just take a moment to bring this back into the relational realm and and talk about how like if you identify something going on with your partner or something is going on with you. And we've talked about taking this space so that you can process and metabolize. Is there a way to bring what you now know about the change triangle maybe into your connection so that you and your partner can now be on the same team with seeing how this dynamic is at work as the two of you come together? What's a good first step? I think for people to bring yes. that into their relationship.
1: Well, what what I would say as a as a good first step is to make sure that both of you have the exact same information. So, when possible, I really wrote the book to be used in in many ways as a as a workbook. And to read the book together with your partner and to go through the exercises gives you just that you're on the same page. And even though it'll take practice. Uh, over a lifetime to work it together, that at least you have the same bit of knowledge and you've gone through the same exercises, which are are pretty simple. and, and, uh, and, and, And just to say why I put case examples is because emotions have to be experienced. How do you help somebody get a sense for an experience? And that had to be through the stories. So I would say just to make sure that the person that you're wanting to connect with has some basic emotion education. Perfect and and then after that, establish ground rules. Um, I, I wrote a little blog on this for uh, for for how to find your life partner on on medium that you want to establish ground rules that you won't be mean, that nobody is going to attack or retaliate in ways that are dangerous and, and hurtful, and that you don't abandon. So that if a conversation has to stop, because it gets hard, and one person gets too anxious, then you, then you have to be able to say to each other, I'm, I'm overwhelmed, I'm not able to really think as I'm talking to you anymore. Let's take a break, but we'll come back and finish this. Because really, in relationships, all there, all there is, is talking, you have to just keep talking. And then lastly, I would say is you want to try to use the change triangle to make sure that that both people are relating as much as possible from a core place, either from that open hearted state or from the emotional state of the core emotions where you're saying you're using I statements like I'm I'm afraid I feel anger about this. I feel sadness about this. As opposed to you, 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 and that when you're when both people move to the top of the triangle, when you're either they're, you're either anxious or ashamed or guilty or defensive, you really have to stop. Like uh, I make a timeout motion um, when I'm working with couples or you know, even working in my own relationship. Let's stop. And then I say, let's rewind to where we were going fine, and then somehow we went off the rails. And then it's usually a miscommunication. Or let's stop and take a break and calm down, and let's come back tomorrow again and sit and have coffee or tea um, and begin again and see, you know, where did we go wrong, where, where literally, if you sort of track moment to moment, you're having a discussion, everything is going fine. I want to talk about, you know, why we, um, we don't have more fun together and then all of a sudden, one person starts to get anxious, or you start to one person starts to get angry, then you can literally stop and say, let's rewind to right before. you know, like, I felt like I was with you, we were connected. And then all of a sudden, I said, well, I don't really, you know, you know, you're no fun anymore. And then I noticed you got defensive. And then that's where you have to work. Because the person might say, yeah, when you told me that I wasn't fun anymore, it hurt my feelings. And then I, I went up into the top of the triangle. I started to get defensive. Um, that's that great.
0: That's great. And, and I see too this opportunity for couples who really start to get this together to like in a state of shame or anxiety, um, or guilt, those inhibitory emotions to learn how to show up for each other, um, in those moments to help settle whatever's going on or to help navigate their partner back into a place of like feeling understood or seen and that might be a good a good return visit for you on the show to talk a little bit more about how how they can collaborate in in a moment like that to bring themselves back to uh to core emotional state
1: yeah i would love to
0: Hilary Jacobs Hendel, thank you so much for being here. If people want to learn more about your work, where can they find you?
1: I have a website with tons of free resources all about emotions, and that's HilaryJacobsHendel.com, or you could just Google The Change Triangle. You can also get there by going to TheChangeTriangle.com, and um, there's uh, articles that I've written Uh, for major media outlets. There's my blog, which the titles are pretty explanatory of what they're about. And then there's a toolbox section that has a lot of resources. Um, So that would be the best place. I also have a YouTube channel so I could go over and explain certain aspects of this. And I do something called one minute videos on emotional health because everybody's so busy and nobody has an attention span anymore. So that's the (laughs) Change Triangle YouTube station. And then my website. And then, of course, the book is the whole enchilada because what, what I did is it's got exercises so that you work the change triangle along with me as I'm working the change triangle with the people in my practice. And then there's little bits of no jargon science to explain what's going on because I wouldn't have been interested in any of this had it not been deeply grounded in, in current neuroscience. And that was really important to me. So um, that's really gives you the whole – kind of flavor of what's going on
0: great and again the book is called it's not always depression uh, and we will have links to all of that on the page for this episode where you can download the transcript and that's com slash triangle or as always you can text the word passion to the number three three four 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 and follow the instructions hillary
1: Yes. Oh, could I just share one more thing?
0: Yeah, of course. The, the book
1: just won two book awards. It won the 2018 Best Book Award for Psychology and Mental Health and the Nautilus Award for Personal Growth. So I just wanted to share that because I'm hoping that um, that people will read this book and that eventually the, our entire society will be um, very well educated from an emotional standpoint. I think it can really change things for the better.
0: Absolutely, and congratulations on those awards. They are well-deserved. You definitely have a gift from taking all of this information and making it really practical for people who read the book. So big recommend from me.
1: Thank you, thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of Relationship Alive. If you like what you've heard and want to make it easier for other people to find out about us, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review us on iTunes. If you have questions or comments or want to continue the conversation, you can always join our Relationship Alive Community Facebook group. And for more information about today's episode, visit us online at neilsatin.com slash podcast. Or you can always text the word PASSION, P-A-S-S-I-O-N, to the number 33444 for more information. Finally, do you have a burning question that you're hoping we can have answered here on Relationship Alive, either for a future or past guest? Let me know and I'll see what I can do. Take care and see you next time.